0: and use promo code bear for 20% off your first order. You know what my favorite text is? A waypoint in the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast, presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. I've had people contact me and they're like, "Did you guys quit?" Singing? Singing. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, there's probably a group of people that are glad we haven't sang in several months. Yes. And then some just like think that like our spirits just shut down. They're like, "Are are, are y'all quitting the Burgers podcast? You hadn't sang recently."
1: It's like a rubric of whether the the podcast is working.
0: Yeah. And we're like I think I think it has some <laughs> validity inside the idea. Because where there is energy and spirit and life happening, what happens? Music. Music is written. People are inspired. Uh, And so for millennia. So I almost so my my wife, Misty Newcomb, is here on my left. And I almost if she'd gotten here just a little bit earlier, I would have said we're gonna play. Okay. But this is what I'm gonna guarantee.
2: Next Bear
0: Grease (laughs) render
2: keeps coming up. That we're here. Okay. We're gonna play. Okay.
3: I had a song request. I can't remember what What's it that? was, but the guy sent me a video and it was a bunch of otters singing about barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> That'll oh, work. Oh man, it's fabulous. <laughs> That'll I work. love more
2: than a bunch of singing otters. Well, wait, this. This, <laughs> this
0: is a this is a fantastic afternoon. And it has been a long time since we've had a burger surrender here. It's true at the Meat Eater South World headquarters here <laughs> yeah. in Arkansas. Meat I got a question: South is it World sanctioned?
2: Is it sanctioned for you to? I mean, like you call it Meat Eater South. Is that? I mean, has there been an official formal term? approval
1: Are there process? I mean, p- papers filed. <laughs> Of course.
0: <laughs> it's been declared. <laughs> it's been yeah, there's been a declaration. So, it's been a while since we've all been here. And we always have these with the with the kind of the standard crew in my office. I wish I could show everybody my office. This is like It's great. It's this, a
1: great place to hang out. It is. I I love I love this office. It's a visual smorgasbord. I like to pilfer.
0: It
4: reminded me of Will Primo's office.
0: Yeah, man, hey, I tell you what, Will Primo's had an incredible office. It's hard to describe. He's got I believe it's walnut wood lined walls. It's kind of dark and kind just looks kind like of a feels board room. Yeah. yeah, kind of feels I was old. going to say I saw pictures on on Oh, he had a he had a huge beautiful. original painting of a spring turkey scene with lights on it. Just like super classy. Yeah. And then he had a bunch of uh, freedom mounts, you know, European mounts of whitetails that, you know, he killed there. Most of them in Mississippi and he had his collection of like hand carved decoys it, it was like a museum you could just walk around he had a wall that was full of the original prints from the negatives of the photographer who shot still photos stay with me wow on the jeremiah johnson film set oh, oh, oh wow. wow will That's primos cool. will primos is like Lake Pickle told me, and he told it for truth. He said, Clay, Will Primos has watched Jeremiah Johnson over 5,000 times. (laughs) And I I said, and I laughed and I said, oh, man, that's cool. And I said, how many times do you really think he's watched it? And he said, no, I'm I'm being serious. Like he's calculated, he believes he's watched it 5,000 times. I thought I liked it.
2: Wow. He, what do
1: they say about 10,000 hours makes you an expert? expert. Yeah. And if
0: the movie's two hours long,
1: he's, he's an, expert. an expert. He's an and expert. Jeremiah yeah. Johnson. I mean, he has a
2: PhD, basically.
0: I don't know where, I never quizzed him on it, but Mr. Will told me that on his farm, there were different roads on the farm and they named them after the characters and Jeremiah Johnson. Oh, that's cool. And he had, oh, he, he was saying stuff I didn't even know what he's talking about, about the movie. Like like uh, memorabilia that he had. So yeah, really neat guy. Does
1: he have Robert Redford on speed dial?
0: He probably does. Yeah. So we're back in my office, which I think my office would be maybe noteworthy for the for all the bear hides and the bear chaps. Bear chaps. I, I do have a. Let me give you just a just a quick like audio tour. Okay. Right behind my dad Gary here, I've got Oscar Newcomb's shotgun, James Lawrence's Hawkins rifle, and a cane that. Adam Dean gave me yes. from Europe that he made me. Yep. I've got a, pi- a picture of a Bob White quail that hung in my home where I was raised, Gary's home, for years. That was a picture of Bob White quail. That picture of that dog is a dog that dad owned, a bird dog named Snipper. I, I painted that when I was in high school, gave it to my grandfather. That hung in his office till he died. I, you swing slightly to the right, and I have all my stone points. Most of those I found on my property. On the windowsill. Mm-hmm, on the windowsill. Um, this is where I got my computers here. That's where the magic I'm just kind of swinging around. And then I have my whitetail wall. I've got, you know, I kind of quit mountain deer, but I've got maybe six whitetails mounted and then probably, f- you know, 12 racks. But this is the this is the coolest part to me. This is the the, the legacy section. And there are three photos up here. They're 16 by 20, like high quality photos with lights on them. And the far left image is James Lawrence in the late 1970s. Is that with that rifle? It's no. that rifle. Is it? Yes. Oh. It's a it's a it's a Hawken muzzleloader, as I understand it. And James Lawrence is somebody that I've just always really looked up to. And I consider him a mentor and somebody that's kind of like family to me. So there's a big picture of James. And then that rack right there beside it is a deer that James killed on public land in the 1960s. And man, it's not a huge rack. I mean, it's a beautiful rack with big old brow tines. But when I go to James's house, I was there two days ago, and I see his wall full of whitetail antlers. I am mesmerized when I think about the hours and time yeah. that he spent hunting to kill those deer yeah. back in that time where he did in National Forest in Arkansas. So there's James. The middle picture is my father-in-law, Steve Schultz, who has been one of the most influential ever in my life. He really is. Steve is our, also our, our, the pastor of our church. Steve was a falconer. And that picture was taken when Steve was, I think in nineteen in eighty. So basically, the same time period as James. He's holding a falcon. He's holding a. a, uh, a, a red I believe tail it's a off. red tail with a ma- mallard hen duck, and this is a super cool photo. And it's real neat for me to see these guys when they were like my age, you know. So there's Steve Schultz, and then the picture to the right. Many people have said that this man looks like Elvis Presley. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard that?
2: I have. I see it. And it's the coolest it like picture.
0: It's the coolest picture of Gary Newcomb. And it was the first deer that dad ever killed. And he's got this buck in the back of the truck. He's got his old bow. What kind of bow is that, dad?
3: A bear. It's got to be a
0: bear. Bear yeah. bow. Yeah.
2: And he's moustachioed.
0: He's got a nice mustache. And then that deer is right there that I've got a mounted deer right beside that photo and that deer is the deer that dad killed what do Brent and I have to do to get our pictures up there you
1: man look like brown. you could have been
2: in the Almond brothers Bring one
3: yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it looks what I was like Creed, say. it looks like Creed Bratton now but. what do you remember about that deer dad
4: <laughs> well you know it, i i wouldn't tell people about it but i'm telling you for months I'd be in a room with a group of guys, and I'd just say, I wish somebody would just ask me if I killed a deer this year, (laughs) and no one ever would. uh, But I tell you, it it meant so much to me because, you know, it was a bow kill. And back then, that was kind of different.
3: What year was that?
4: 77.
3: Yeah, that was way different. Yeah. In South Arkansas, for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, there weren't a lot of people killing deer with a bow very consistently. Yeah, you
4: know, and I I was pretty lucky on that deer. He was trailing a doe and I was on the ground. Oh, you killed it from the ground. I killed it on the ground, not in the stand. That's even better. Quite the deer. Uh, Yeah, yeah.
0: So, that's a tour of the office. And then I've got bear hides hanging from hooks. An old rock slide. Yeah, some big bear skulls. Yeah, and then I have one big mounted bear in the office, which is, it's not the biggest bear I've ever killed, but probably the the most valuable bear to me personally I've ever killed. Killed it on uh, national Forest, public land. Last day of the season. Shot the bear in the head. Snuck up on it while I was asleep. Not a joke. Um, pretty incredible deal. Yeah. But anyway, couple of things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this turkey podcast. But I also want to give you guys an opportunity to talk about the Clower podcasts
2: because Brent was the special guest. Yeah, Brit, the pretty boy. I had,
0: Yeah, and I still ain't got a picture up in here. <laughs> pretty, pretty boy Chloe Brent, Brent. <laughs> Yeah So we're going to talk about We're going to talk about Clower. We're going to talk about turkey hunting We've covered a lot of ground What mm-hmm. did what'd y'all think of the last Render crew? They did okay? B team
3: Yeah uh, yeah. B I give them a B I gave them a B plus yeah. for, Because they recognized all of us on here They so. got yes. funny
0: accents
2: oh, Josh, but, you're from Michigan Your people are from Michigan Well, my people are uh, yeah. I've yeah. spent
0: way
3: more time in the south. Hey, I was,
0: I was pretty happy that Steve Rennell knew who Clower was, and he didn't just know uh, who Clower was. Yeah, he, was he, he knew. Oh, he I was, was he was passionate about Clower. Yeah. Which I, I was impressed with.
2: I, was, I actually thought they, did, I thought they did a good job. I thought that it was yeah, a very entertaining podcast. They did, they podcast. did. They did a great right. job. I'll admit I it. was a little hurt when Brent got the call out and Josh and I got the shaft. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Yeah. exactly. That is the price you pay for fame. I
0: just feel like
3: a micro-celebrity. When you run in this circle. <laughs> micro-celebrity. <laughs> micro <laughs> <laughs> when you run in this circle, you got to be prepared for that kind of hey,
0: stuff. Hey, talking about micro-celebrity, did you guys know? That Misty Newcomb works for Wild and Whole, which is a brand inside of Meat Eater. Absolutely what? We've never, awesome. we've never, true story. We've never uh, officially said this on the podcast. Yeah. But so Wild and Whole is like a sector inside of Meat Eater that, how would you describe Wild and Whole?
2: Wild and Whole focuses on, in the sense that Meat Eater focuses on hunting, it mm-hmm. is primarily focused on hunting. Wild and Whole is more focused on, uh, Preparation of food and sourcing of food. And so they look at farming, homesteading, foraging.
0: Gardening. Gardening. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so Misty, she works for them and she does a lot of stuff about her garden, about cooking. Yeah,
2: just about feeding our family.
0: Yeah.
1: Wholesome. So
2: you can follow Misty at, at Newcomb Farm. At Newcomb Farm. I do.
0: That also
1: reminds me of one of my favorite George Bush Jr. isms when he was talking about he was giving this speech, and he said, we got people out there working hard to put food on their family.
2: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Wild and whole, putting food on your family. Yeah. Put a cheeseburger on me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's great. While Speaking of food, while we were out, just before this, Brent was telling me a story about his turkey hunting mentor. Mr. Leon, oh yeah, and now so Brent's going to tell a story, and let me just say you're just going to have to hold your horses okay. until you come to too many judgments about the direction this story's going. <laughs> okay, okay, Brent, tell tell him about Mr. Leon. Mr. Well, let me let me let me tell him first. Okay, while we were talking about that, I was telling Brent about Tecumseh. Okay, this is potentially some foreshadowing, <laughs> but I'm doing a little research on a Native American leader named Tecumseh. Wink, wink. Who was uh, arguably one of the most prominent, skilled, indigenous leaders of, of at least modern history that we can record of Native American stuff. Tecumseh was kind of a peculiar guy. He, <laughs> he, broke, he broke his leg when he was like 16 years old, riding a horse, shooting a buffalo, and he walked with a limp. And he was always real weird with uh, taking on a wife. And he he had three wives, different ones, but he, he never stayed with them. And he was always just he'd kinda like take a wife and then be like, eh. And his second <laughs> wife, Mamita, one time he had killed a wild turkey. And this is why this is relevant to this podcast. It's April. Whether it was a goblin turkey, I don't know. He killed a wild turkey and he took it back to Mamita to take care of. And she plucked the turkey, which is interesting that she plucked it. She didn't breast it. And she served it to Tecumseh and the family. This isn't a joke. This is a real story. When, when it was served, there were still some pin feathers on the plucked bird. And it embarrassed and made Tecumseh so mad that when dinner was over, he, he got up and he said, you're going to have to leave. He said, we're done. <laughs> he, she, he said, wow. you brought shame on me and I cannot tolerate this. And he essentially divorced her. What was, wrong, be- what was wrong with that? <laughs> With
2: his actions, <laughs> Clay sent Let's me this. Let's just say that it Judy was... would
0: know better. Clay, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I could actually read it. Go ahead, Missy. Yeah,
2: Clay is reading this book somewhere, and he clips that part out, takes a picture of it, and sends it to me. And I read this whole story, and I get to the bottom and see that he sent her away for you know not proficiently plucking a turkey. And I wrote back and I said, Hey, Clay, is this a threat? Listen,
0: <laughs> listen. Here's the exact oh, here's the exact section. It says, "Tecumseh discovered a few small feathers still stuck to it. After his friends left, he handed his wife her clothing." And told her to leave. <laughs> the astonished woman asked Tecumseh why he was banishing her because of the turkey feathers, he replied. Her entreaties to stay met with a cold rebuke. No, you must go. I am ashamed of you. We may separate forever. And he drove her out. How dare you?
2: It's wow. crazy. Wow. Huh? <laughs> but, so after
0: I told Brent that story, Brent tells me this story. But before <laughs> you go, if you like stop the podcast and you go, These misogynistic, you know, people don't think that. But just listen to Brent's story.
3: This was in nineteen. This happened in nineteen forty-six. It, it could. It was either forty-five, late forty-five, or forty-six when Mister Leon got home from the war. This was the guy Brent worked with. I worked with. He was. A, he was a turkey hunter, and you know, Will said something about calling turkeys with a briar leaf or a green leaf. Mister mm-hmm. Leon could do that. He mm. used. He used a green briar leaf. He sound just like a turkey. Anyway. He uh, told me that one time, well, right after he got married, that so they spent, they had a one night honeymoon. They went to the house that they lived in. This would have been in 1988 or eight or nine when he told me this story, and they've been living there since they got married. And he said the first morning that after their honeymoon went, well, the first night they spent there, he got up and she was in the kitchen cooking breakfast. She said, "What do you want for breakfast?" And he was walking outside to bust some wood up. He said, "I want two eggs over easy. I want some grits. I want some ham." and the eggs I don't want no pepper on them and in a cup of coffee and out the door he went he went out and he starts busting wood she calls him leon your your breakfast is ready he comes back in the house sits down at the table pours herself a cup of coffee and she sets the plate down in front of him and it's got everything he wanted except it had pepper on the eggs and he said he, he said i thought to myself if i should say something about the about the pepper but then he said no nope. I'm just going I'm going to start this off right. I'm not going to let her get away with this. And I picked that plate up, I held it at arm's length and just slowly dumped it out in the floor. Oh. He said she was standing behind him and he handed her the plate and he said, I, "My intention was to tell her, I said, don't put any pepper on my eggs." He said, "I think I got to like the first pee. In pepper, when I assumed she turned that plate up edgeways and hit me in the top of the head with it, <laughs> <laughs> he said because the the scar when I woke up matched like the edge of a plate. He said in the morning had gone, it was up midday, and I had laid there knocked out, unconscious in the floor for so long. <laughs> <laughs> that the yeller on them eggs that stuck to his face and dried, and he said it sounded like duct tape when he raised his face up off the floor. He said I stumbled around in the house and I looked and all her clothes were gone. He said we didn't have but one car and it was there. So, but we did have a phone, but her mom and daddy didn't have one. He said, and they lived in town. He said I assume that's where she went. He said so I got in the car when I could see and I drove to town and sure enough that's where she was at. And her daddy told me he said she ain't coming right now. But she said she'll be home and when she gets ready. She said oh, a couple of days go by, and she comes home, and it's right before supper, time to start cooking supper. And She come in, didn't say a word. They cooked supper. They went on like nothing had happened. Went to bed, got up the next morning, same routine, played out. He started to go outside to do his chores, and she asked him what he wanted for breakfast, and he told her the exact same thing. <laughs> Grits, ham, <laughs> eggs, no pepper. He said, "I went outside, done my chore. She called me back in to eat breakfast. I sat down, poured a cup of coffee. So she set that plate down in front of me, and he said it looked like a can of pepper <laughs> poured on top of them two eggs. So I and I had no. Mister Leon was not an easy. I loved him, absolutely loved him, he was not an easy guy to get along with. So I know this this story where this is going. He's fixing to dump this in the in the." In the floor again. And I said, well, what'd you do? He said, I've been eating pepper on my eggs ever (laughs) since. Oh, mate. So Uh, the lesson there, I mean, there's lots of lessons in in that story, but (laughs) adapt and overcome, I think, would be. Hey, um, and I
0: like that. He told you that story in 1982? No, that would have been like 88, 89. Okay. And he was still married to this woman. 40 years later. Absolutely. You know, apparently they... They figured it. it out. Oh, Maybe yeah, they worked grew. it out. Yeah. He worked right, it out. <laughs> tell, tell me about the way Leon,
3: about his entry and exit routes. He, he uh, We worked in the woods. We managed timber for Georgia Pacific. And our office was in Fort Ice, Arkansas, at the mill, where the mill was at. And we'd go in every morning. We'd get our orders from the Forester, of which tracked uh, to go either mark for cutting or whatever we were doing. We had to leave and go out in the woods to do it. And every time we would come back in, if we went out one direction, he would make us come back another way. We never took the same route back to the office, even if it was the quickest way. And this went on for, I was just a young fella now, and he was, like I said, a World War II vet. So he was older, and he he put the orders out there, and I said, yes, sir, and we did them. But this particular day, it was in August, and it was so hot. We've been out marking timber all day, and we didn't, there was no air conditioning in the truck. We got through with work, and he said, all right, let's go home. We got in the truck, and we started home. And I said, I'm just going to go straight down the highway like we come up here. It'll be, it'll be quicker. Go back home. He said, no, when you get down here, take a ride on such and such road. We're going to go the back way. I said, Mr. Leon, I'm hot. I'm tired. I smell. It's hot in this truck. I want to go home. He said, no, take that road up there. So I took the road, and when I was taking the road, I asked him, I said, we have been doing this every day. Not one time it would come back the same way, even when it would be quicker. Why are we coming back a different way than we went out? And he reached in his pocket, and I'm driving, and I'm watching him over there. He never even looked at me. He reached in his pocket, and he took out a cool menthol cigarette, and he lit it. <laughs> he took a puff off of it, and he's staring out the window. He said, son— have you ever been ambushed? And I thought, ambushed? Uh, no, sir. He said, Well, I have, and we ain't going back the same way we came out. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a habit he got into in the South Pacific fighting World War II. And Mr. Wow. Leon. It, it served him well. We never got ambushed, we the, never whole got never ambushed. the whole time. <laughs> no. Never go back. Hard to argue the with. Same way you came. The
0: science is good. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Well, Hey, it's uh, we're recording this in early April. The Arkansas youth turkey hunt and season is this coming weekend. And so the people I have here are Misty Newcomb to my left, Brent Reeves, Josh Lambridge, spillmaker. Good to see you, Josh. Good to be here. Gary Newcomb. So we we're 20 minutes in. I'm just not introducing you. <laughs> but I wanted to – so me and Josh, we have been youth turkey hunting with our kids for – long time i mean last year was the first year that i think you didn't go because you kind of had kids that kind of my kids have crested crested out of it but me and josh had some pretty incredible years of youth turkey hunting and i wanted to tell one of my favorite stories we where we're hunting it's pretty it's, it's pretty cool because during the youth hunt you can find birds because when birds are, are not thick, which in Arkansas, you know, yeah. if you listen to the last podcast, you heard us say that 60% yeah. of our birds are gone. Mm-hmm. So back in the heyday, we had a lot of birds they are easy to find. But what happens across the landscape when birds die out is that there'll be pockets of them that they're fairly thick. So that's why it's kind of confusing to some people because you might be in a pocket a good turkey hunting and be like, what's the big deal? We yeah. still kill turkeys. And it's like, well, but every other place doesn't. Well, on public land, Everybody knows where these little pockets of turkeys are, and during the youth season, you can usually slip so in there, not there. Especially if you camp there, <laughs> yeah. you can go in there. So me and Josh and the kids did that for for years, years and had great turkey hunting. Yeah. I mean, we could just walk out from our camp and yeah. expect to hear a turkey and killed a few. Mm-hmm. But the best story—well, there's two stories. There's actually three. <laughs> the best one was the kids were—I want to say. Willow and Mallory, our oldest daughters, were probably like Mallory was probably eleven, twelve. Yeah, maybe? eleven or twelve. So and Willow would have been
1: 10. 10. Yeah, and oh, so we had we
0: had two little girls, and I think David was with us yep. and me and Josh. So there's there's five of us, and we we hear turkey gobble. It's like late in the morning, and
2: Riv was also on this one.
0: River, so uh, there's yep. six, of us, uh-huh. six of us. Yeah, six of us. Yeah. Four kids, two adults, kids, two adults. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and.
2: Well, who had the gun? Willow. It was Willow's year.
0: Nope. No? David had the gun. David had the gun. There were seven of us. There were, we were all there. We David, all- Mallory, Willow, River, Clay, Josh. Okay, six of yeah, us. Yep. Yeah, six. Six of us. Anyway, nine o'clock in the morning, late in the morning, I yelp. I hear a turkey gobble. We've got the kids all camoed up on the you know face paint, and yes. we're just ready to go. And and
1: and our kids were pretty good at being still and quiet.
0: Yeah, we'd trained them yeah. pretty good. And this turkey gobble is so close that I'm just like, get down, everybody, you know. And and we're giving orders like, you you two sit here, you two sit here. And the person with the shotgun maybe was right with me. Yeah, and you were sitting, sitting back behind me. Yeah, David yeah. was right with me. Yep. Well, man, directly here comes two big long beard gobblers. I see them from sixty seventy yards. And they're kind of walking up to our left, and I've got Mallory and Willow at a tree, like arms reach for me, David the gunman in between my legs right here, and these birds are coming up like this, and we had told the kids, you know, uh, over the campfire all yeah. these years, we'd say stuff that dad used to tell me, which turns out was probably a lie, he would say, these turkeys can see the whites of your eyes. I mean, a, a dad that when he's trying to inform his kid about turkey hunting, you're trying to scare them into being yes. still. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, these turkeys can see the whites of your eyes. We told the girls that, and and David. Well, these turkeys come in and they they gobble out in front of us, and they they don't, they never strutted, but they were just beautiful coming up the ridge. The turkeys come in, and David was just a little kid, and yeah. and I couldn't get him on the turkeys, and they stayed out at maybe thirty yeah. yards,
1: and it, they were kind of in a weird at a weird angle too, if yeah. I remember right.
0: It just it was just one of those deals. I just couldn't get him on him, but the birds were really in range and close, and and they milled and they circled, around. They
1: circled back around the tree. Almost, I remember it was. I mean, they weren't ten, fifteen feet, but the way they were at, we couldn't get a shot on them.
0: Yeah. And so the bird finally goes off. And I mean, he's gobbled and we've seen him and the kids are just like, oh, that was great. Right. And so we, after they leave, we're all standing up and I say, man, wasn't that beautiful? I mean, I'm trying to interpret for them. This is like a magnificent thing that's yeah. just happened. We didn't get him, but that's okay. Okay. And Mallory, Josh's oldest daughter, goes, oh, man. And I said, Mallory, what did you think? Did you see those turkeys? And she said, no, I never saw them. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, you told me to keep my eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> and when she heard those turkeys coming, she shut her eyes tight, man, and she never what opened them. a sacrifice
1: them. for the shooter. Oh, bless her Lord. She never she opened the her, her eyes. the eyes to scare off the turkey.
2: One thing you can't say about mommy: I mean, she is so Straight like an arrow. Oh, yeah. Is she gonna do Black right
0: <laughs> or white? No. Gray oh, area. It was it was so funny because she was dead serious. I mean, she was like, I didn't even I didn't even see him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and she's so happy knowing Mallory. She's yeah. so happy yeah. oh, that- <laughs>
0: and then as the kids got older the next year, David was again the shooter. We heard birds, but we had a different strategy. Me and David went in yep. kind of like 50-60 yards ahead, and all the kids night. sat back. And so we called in a gobbler, and David had a single-shot 410. Break-open. Break-open single-shot yeah. 410. And we call up a big gobbler. And, man, he comes in, there's shooting range, and I'm just like, shoot him, Let David. Let him have it. Yeah, he's probably 25 yards, which is, you know. Yeah.
1: But he wasn't coming any closer. He would not. I mean, he was there for 20 minutes probably. He would oh, before, not come any closer. Well, but
0: but when he finally yeah. came in, David gets on him. And, you know, David's probably 10, 10 years old. Yeah boom, shoots, and that turkey just kind of like jumps up in the air and hits the ground, and I start calling. Quark, quark,
2: quark, quark,
0: Mind quark, you, this is a single quark, 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 shot. And I think it's the hunt's over. Sure. But when I call, that turkey just kind of looks at me and starts kind of just doesn't run off. And so I say, David, load up another load up another shell. <laughs> and so I'm you know, trying to break this gun over, and David's scrambling for a bullet, and he puts another bullet in, and I say, shoot him again. And so he pulls up that 410 40- Boom! <laughs> Shoots the turkey, kind of <laughs> jumps up, and I work, 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 work. How many times did he shoot? Four times. That he four shot times. at the turkey. Uh, I mean, a long beard gobbler. And four, that four times time just didn't have enough to and, reach and out so there. And so all the other kids, Josh and the little girls, are <laughs> all back there, and they hear him shoot, and they're like, "Yes, David got one." And then, and then here,
2: <laughs> they hear him shoot again,
0: and they go, "Oh, I wonder if he got it." <laughs> And then,
2: boom! <laughs> let him shoot again. He's like, stacking he those
0: like cordwood. He with. must have killed two. <laughs> and then the fourth time, you, you guys had to have been like something is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> they having to shoot
1: Is the, the turkey turkey's shooting, turkey's back?
0: shooting back? <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, man, we walked up. I remember David and I walked back to him. You know, and we're just like heads hung low. We're just like man. Uh, we yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Anybody got an extra box of shells? <laughs> he, he's still waiting for us out there.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. and. He shot at another turkey that same day. Yep. Do you remember that? Good night, nurse. He, he, we were in them <laughs> thick, man. I begin mean, <laughs> to like... think
2: that hunting might not be David's game. <laughs> yeah.
1: No. You know,
0: when he was 16, he killed a big, <laughs> When big he was goblet. 16, some of the most beautiful pictures that I have, when, remember when we had turkey camp? We had a backcountry turkey camp where we went back in, took a mule, mule. Yeah. and took all the boys and David- And man, we walked up on top of the mountain, daylight, opening day, wind howling. Yep. Hadn't been in there to scout, just kind of thought there might be one in there. And I mean, no more than sat down and called up two big gobblers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the youth hunt's the way to go.
4: Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Why didn't you take me youth hunting? I didn't like you. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's funny. Back in the day, like, uh. I don't know. We just didn't have, maybe we didn't have you. You know, you didn't show
4: any interest in turkey hunting. I mean, a lot of stuff I did, you know, you're like going, I'm too cool for that. But the whole time you were absorbing all these little stories I was telling. And as you got a little older, you know, you were going like, yeah, man, I want to do some of this stuff.
1: Yeah. Do you remember that year when when you first took me hunting down Polk County and. (laughs) went out hunting we found a you know what when i was listening to this podcast do you remember us finding that nest yes with eggs in it Mm -hmm. and then we proceeded to get lost for hours and hours and walking miles and miles before
4: before smartphones and yeah yeah we camped out there yeah 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 that was pretty fun You know, I've seen a nest just right out in the middle of the woods. I'm sure Mm -hmm. everybody that's probably turkey hunting a lot has run into that, but I'd only encountered it one time. I mean, I'm just thinking, I think I would have put it over around some brush or something. Oh, it was just like not? Yeah, just on the side of a hill and right there. I mean, you could see How many
0: turkey nests do you think you found? One. Just one?
4: One. I mean, I've seen where I I just knew there was a nest cause I could tell the way the hen was acting and I'd go in and I never could find it. It's like, they kind of hide them. Yeah. This, this bird
0: was. I think, I think some, some statistical group of hen turkeys will do that. I mean, they might just put it right out in the open and then some others are real clever with the way they hide them, you know? But uh, I think I have found two turkey nests. How many turkey nests have you found, Brent?
3: Well, I worked in the woods, so I was in the woods every day. I've a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, yeah, 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 a bunch of them. What'd and you find? Kind of in the brush or out in the open or what? It would be mainly in like woodlots. You know, you'd get a, a group of uh, or a stand of timber or an edge of a edge of a like a pasture. I mean, it wouldn't really be hidden. I mean. A lot of the, a lot of them I would find only because I got so close to the hen. That she jumped up. when she jumped up and flew, or I, if she'd have stayed set, I'd have probably never seen it. What doesn't make
0: any sense to me from a biological perspective is why those eggs are so bright. Would, would it not make sense for those things to be just brown, brown camouflage?
3: I don't know. Maybe it's something for the for the turkeys to identify to find them back you know I, I don't know but i've thought about that too yeah you know like different colors of eggs like you know some chickens lay brown eggs and
0: man birds if, have if, blue I, eggs and, if i were president of yeah. the turkeys yeah i'd suggest that we need different color eggs i think that first line minister maybe that would be a way that we could help the turkey population. system we could uh, we could have different Colored turkey eggs misty have you ever seen turkey eggs i have not hmm.
2: I haven't, i've gone so, turkey hunting. what
0: uh, what mike dr mike chamberlain wild turkey doc on instagram well, he is he he has a pretty interesting yeah. well he has he has a real interesting story um he works for the university of georgia and is a, is a turkey researcher and he went on the meteor podcast a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and all of a sudden just rose to national prominence in a lot of circles. Now, in the academic circles, he was always kind of where he was at. And there's uh, there's lots of other incredible turkey biologists that are around the country that, you know, are his peers. Mm-hmm. But he kind of was in a unique situation in that he kind of rose to, like, some have some influence in kind of the mainstream culture world. Which is kind of interesting because usually academia has a hard time reaching kind of pop culture. And that's right. what Dr. Chamberlain has kind of done and he and he did it through being on the meteor podcast he'll tell you that i i I asked him while i was there and he was like oh being on the meteor podcast is what you know got us this and but he is a very articulate passionate very knowledgeable neat guy and he's the one that introduced to to many of us uh, you know lots of people would have known this but i knew a fair bit about turkeys and i would not have known the details of the predation stories on these turkeys but i mean turkeys are just designed to die yeah to fail
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> they are born to die yep and the the to hear him talk about the he tells a story of this great horned owl and i i didn't go into all the detail but he he had he did a research project on where he had collars on a whole bunch of small game animals in a certain woodlot. I believe he did this while he was in college. So he had like possums collared, a pair of raccoons collared. He had... Uh, Is that like a banded mallard? If <laughs> He had uh, yeah. some yeah. kind of birds Possum. that he was measuring, and he was trying to measure how these animals interacted in this kind of wild space. Mm. And he said that a male and female great horned owl Moved into that area. And, and so they would get a dead signal when one of their animals died. You know, if it didn't move for four hours or something, right. it would send a signal. And he said that a male and female great horned owl killed every single one of his research animals. Really? <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding. I'm not kidding. Killed them all dead. I mean, it, it wiped out his research project. He said it actually made him happy because it was like a two-hour drive to get over there. <laughs> and he had to go over there <laughs> like four times a week to do his radio work or whatever.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, they're voracious Assassins. predators. Really? They, 40 they, miles an hour. They, yeah. they fly 40 miles per hour. They weigh three pounds, but they kill it's turkeys.
4: Yeah, they I, kill yeah. goblin yeah. turkeys. I mean, and, you come in at 40
0: miles an hour. Just bam, yeah. hit them. I and- had a buddy
3: had a uh, a coon squalor snatched out of his hand one time.
0: Really? No way. Yeah,
3: by a hoodow. Are you serious? Yep. And he got, it was on a leather. It actually wasn't a, a coon squalor. It was a predator call. Mm. And he and my brother were standing on the end of, on, at the front of the truck. And they were trying to to get a coyote to run up in. It was right at dusk, trying to call a coyote up into the road where they could shoot it. And so he was sitting out there blowing that predator call, blowing, 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 old Johnny Stewart call. He said and the next thing he knew he's my brother was at the back of the truck, watching that way, and said he could hear flopping and and Joe Tyree sitting up there. <laughs> Cussing and having a fit and scared and hollering. and <laughs> he looked and he said and it was Al trying to drag him and that pressure call out <laughs> <in> the ditch. <laughs> Holy cow! Yeah, he had big old cuts on his hand from them talons. Wow! Oh, so it goodness. heard. So it come. It come it right heard to Heard something sound. in
0: distress and thought that it was a dying rabbit.
3: I guess so. Wow! Wow! wow. That's crazy.
0: I believe it. I believe it. Voracious predators, man. They uh, and these turkeys are just born to die. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only Clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover extreme genetic stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. SportDog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, SportDog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The people at Sport Dog know that having a well-trained hunting dog is more than just having a reliable partner. It's a commitment to their safety and unlocking their full potential. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple, gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Trust Sport Dog, where innovation meets passion, to elevate your hunting experience and strengthen the bond with your local companion. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me. To track my squirrel dogs, and my one old coon dog that's not very good. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. What was so interesting to me about the whole story of this podcast, because I, I, I interviewed you know Mr. Will Primos, who's just a legend, and I, I can't say enough cool things about being around Will. He's one of those people that you meet and you kind of will never forget him, just kind of the way he is. And the, the, he impacts everybody he's around, he's around just by how disciplined, how focused. And I wouldn't have seen that. You wouldn't have seen that with him out in the turkey woods. But when you're sitting with him in a room for a couple hours and you kind of get to know him, just very focused, very disciplined, very passionate, passionate, mm-hmm. very teaching-oriented. <laughs> yeah. everything he does like he'll tell you about it you know he'll be like he'll he'll like with his eating I I'd met him for like 45 minutes and already knew what he ate for breakfast and why it was so healthy and he does it every day you know he's, he's really yeah. passionate about everything he does and it's, it's hard not to be impacted by people like that because you see the yeah. intentionality with which they live
1: uh, that sound bite that that you played on there with the guy who's killing the turkey was that him
0: yeah okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah it it said Josh uh, in a voiceover. It said this is Mr. Will Primos. <laughs>
1: okay. I somehow I missed that. Mm. Yeah, pay attention, okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. Got a little bit tense in here. <laughs> sometimes the.
1: Sometimes my you brain get doesn't get <laughs> I'm going to get canceled. Um, well, I had a good run.
2: It, right. was a, it was <laughs> a yeah, right, well, You can
1: see yourself out.
0: So I interviewed Mr. Will. And as I go into some of these stories I don't really know exactly the direction it's going to take. It's not like I had this totally scripted out in my mind. I knew he was a Turkey expert, I knew that Dr. Chamberlain was a Turkey expert, and I knew I wanted to bring them together, not physically, but to have them in the same podcast. Right. And as I'm talking to Mr. Will, it becomes crystal clear that his you know part a component of his success in the game call industry and in the video industry came because of the resurgence and these very good populations of turkeys and the innovation and all that, that spawned. And it's, it's like, it all, it, it kind of all came clear. And then here in Mike Chamberlain talking about, and he didn't know about the conversation that I'd had with Will, you know, I was just talking to him about turkeys and he was like, man, our turkeys in the Southeast populations peaked in, mid nineties and two thousands. Yeah, it was very correlated, wasn't it? It was. And then it became clear to me that my ideas and the foundations of the way that I think turkey hunting ought to be came about during that time while I learned when I learned to turkey hunt back in the nineties. And you remember me you heard me say that that place that you heard ten or twelve birds in the same morning. Mm-hmm. You knew where I was talking about. No. You didn't. <laughs> well,
2: kind
1: of. <kinda. laughs> Where
0: I killed my first turkey. Oh
4: yeah! Uh, Holy
0: smoke! See, yeah. I, the reason I went in there was because, like, the Saturday before you came out of there, and you said, "Man, I bet I heard ten or twelve turkeys," just you know, throughout the whole morning. And so you have these ideas of what turkey hunting should be like, and then when it's not like that, everybody's upset about it. I mean, like everybody in this part of the world is just like, "Oh man." Yeah, you know, just they're 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 upset about it. They're blaming agencies and all this. Yeah, it kind of helped me to see that there's a there's a bigger thing going on that's that is it is inside of our control. But the control is going to be kind of it's going to be harder to wrangle the control than it would have been thirty years ago. Yeah, I mean, partly due to there are vastly more people on the landscape today than there was thirty years ago. It's kind of hard. It's kind of like a slow burn, but I mean. Think about anywhere. Think about where you're from, Dad. Think about this little community we live in here. I mean, there's a Dollar General there, and there used to be a wood lot. There's five different landowners where it used to be one big farm. Right. And those five different new pieces of property all have new houses built on yeah. them. And they cut their grass with a lawnmower. And they do this and they do that. Um, timber companies in national, you know, the timber harvest and national forest here is different than it used to be. Um, and then, this is the main takeaway that I would say to people, is that, and Dr, Dr. Chamberlain said it, but predator communities are so different than they used to be. And the rise of the mesopredator, the mesopredator, which is a mid-sized predator, Misty, skunks, possums, coons, foxes, coyotes. Pain of my existence. Mm-hmm, the mesopredator. predator. Mm-hmm. And, and in the big, the giant picture, the reason there's so many predators here is because all most of the apex predators are gone. Right. The black panthers are gone. <laughs> the wolves, Says who? Not the all of them. The wolves are gone. Not all of them. Now the bears are back. And I know a bear will eat a turkey nest around here. Um, But really, it's like there's so much space for predators inside of the ecosystem. And if one of them leaves, other ones rise up. And, and, and man, I mean... We just didn't have coyotes 30 years ago like we have today, um, and they're just wearing the turkeys out and, and my chickens. Man, tell them about your chickens.
2: I mean, I don't. It's it's kind of an emotional topic. This but,
0: fits perfectly yeah. <laughs> into me never trusting a ground nesting bird, even a chicken. Tell them.
2: I mean, we lost 19 in one one night this did winter. They eat
1: them or did they just kill them?
2: So there's there's two stories here, Josh. We we lock up our coop like it has an actual yeah. lock, and I had some young chickens in there, and it was icy, and it was icy for four days, and I put some grain in there. I usually just let them, you know, roam around, right. but because I knew the predators were out, because whenever you get really low temperatures like that and right. ice for days, they come out, and so I put the grain in the coop, and then I put a wood box in front of the door so that if, we won't say who, but Izzy the mule decided <laughs> she wanted that grain and wow. went over Is and- he hun- going
0: to unlock the chicken coop.
2: Izzy can unlock the chicken <laughs> coop with her nose. She can undo the lock. So Izzy went, True and that's story. what she did. She unlocked the coop, oh. and then those predators came and pulled, because Izzy can't move the box. You know, like she just... why
0: well, how did they move the box?
2: I think it was one of the predators. No. You think Izzy moved the box?
0: Coyotes, they they lack opposable thumbs. I don't think they well, can move the box. Well, I don't think body. that. I Is think with their them? body,
2: you can see it scraped. <laughs> My coop was scraped around the edges.
0: Point being.
2: Point being. Something... We,
0: we, we lost, lost 19 chickens in one night.
2: Most of their whole bodies were gone. Really? Most of their whole—I mean, they were gone. So it was all a pack. we had was feathers. That was a whole well, pack.
0: so the only reason we know what it was, I was—I was gone that at that time. Is my neighbor has a cell camera, kind of on the edge of our property uh-huh. on his property, yeah. and I told him, I said, "Man, something's after my chickens." Well, I, the reason he knew something was after my chickens is because one night I turned loose my dogs on it right after it happened. Like I went out. That was that was actually a different time. There,
2: it was a rough week we story. Multiple stories. Yeah, after story. multiple
0: chicken kills. And one night I went out there and it had happened and I knew it had happened since dark. And I turned Fern loose, who is a top notch coon dog that won't bark at anything but a coon. <laughs> and I turned her loose on a coyote and turns out she'll bark on a coyote if I <laughs> encourage her to. And she and Tim trailed that coyote and they made a big loop out in front of the house, circled around. Well, I already told this story on this podcast. Yeah. I text my neighbor and he says, I'll, i you know, I'll be on the porch with the AR-15. AR-15. And, uh, anyway, he got a picture of a coyote. I, oh, that was a coyote. long way to say that.
2: Let me also say this. <laughs> I had, I got 15 more baby chickens and I was super proud of them cause they, they made it, you know, it was a rough winter and these chickens made it a long time. And I was out there looking at them one day and Clay and you guys all went scrawling yeah. and Clay decided to take Tim with them. Yep. And the day y'all left, I said, Look, that's 15 eight week old chickens right there. That means none of them. I ordered 15. I got 15. The coyotes refer to that 15, as a honey hole. Yeah. 15 were alive. Not the coyotes, Josh, the hawks. Oh, really? Every day that Tim was gone, They'd every single day, off. I would go in at night and I count them. Every day I had one less than the day before and it stopped when he came back.
0: Dead gum.
2: So I think that Tim keeps the hawks away.
0: Yeah. He does. Tim will tree buzzards and hawks that land out <laughs> in the trees. He'll see him from in the house and stand up on the windowsill and, and we'll let him out and he'll just <laughs> take off running and he'll go tree underneath that tree and, you know, the hawk, they'll fly and he'll chase them off our property. And he's kind of
2: like a cartoon. You know how they run in place yeah. like for a second before yeah. he gets so excited. He just runs in place on and just like screams. Floor. Yeah, it's really fun on our hardwood Yeah. Well,
0: well, what what did you guys think
3: of the podcast? Awesome. Tell mm. me, g- give me your... Uh, Takeaways, Brent. I loved it. It was, you know, I killed my first turkey in nineteen eighty five. Mm. That would have been when, you know, Will was talking about when he started when it started going up. I saw those that video. the The late fees I paid to the video store on, <laughs> on his tapes would fill up a car with gas at today's prices. Primos and the Southern Boys I'm or t- whatever. I saw them all, and he, uh, they sold his calls in a little uh, store there. Savage uh, Carl's One Stop, Mister Carl Savage had a had a bait shop and a sporting goods store there in in Warren, and they his calls were in there when when they were going out. Those tapes, you know, were in there, the cassette tapes, mm. and it was a uh, you know it was a big deal to watch that. And um, I started turkey hunting when turkeys started, and it got better and better every year. Yeah, I saw what Doctor Chamberlain was talking about. In the growth in the turkeys I'm sure I'm sure Gary did too and it when, it when it started falling off it was you know it was pretty quick yeah and will said something about about the older he gets and and sacrificing and backing up on killing turkeys now so kids in the future can I got a three-year-old grandson I would hate him miss out on what will talked about and the recording that you played. I would hate for him not to have the opportunity to, yeah. to experience mm-hmm. that yep. and what you talked about, David seeing and yep. on y'all's trip. So, yep. man, if it's uh, it's going to hurt right now to back up off of that, but how you know, how I mean, good is it? As
0: we say that, as and as I said that on the podcast about sacrifice, and that's kind of kind of what I ended with. You know, I, I wanted to functionalize that because I mean, like, what does it mean for me to sacrifice for turkey hunting? I mean, it, it's kind of a, it kind of a. Abstract statement that sounds good to say, but I, I tried to say it's going to mean something different for everybody. It may mean burning and managing just a small acreage that you have. And Doctor Chamberlain, I just wasn't able to include it on the podcast because it just was, it just didn't fit right. But he, t- I asked him, I said, "What do we need to do?" And you know, part of his answer was just everybody needs to do what they can. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> and if you have turkeys make your habitat as good as possible. Even if it's just one or two things that you do to your property that helps it, that's going to be meaningful. It could be as simple as not shooting a Jake turkey when yeah. you can, when yeah. it's legal. You know, may, maybe you back it off and 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 there's there's lots of guys that won't shoot Jakes, but there's lots of guys that will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with it if it's legal. I mean, but maybe that's a choice that we would make. And then, I've gotten to the age where I can see that we're now talking to a generation of kids that is one day going to be the leaders, conservation leaders and stuff. And, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's kids that are listening or that are influenced by this time period that will be leaders of conservation groups that have to make wise decisions. But, you know, so it's kind of like, what can you do and do it where you can? And, And then there's, there are people that, that, have big, huge properties, you know, that could really yeah. make a den in something with habitat.
2: I think that's the importance of taking kids out hunting. Because, yeah. you know, Absolutely. we've got four kids and some of the, one of those girls that you took really loved hunting and one didn't. So we've got pictures of Willow with, with a turkey. But I think that all of our kids have a real appreciation for it. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, like I think about hearing Gary say that Clay wasn't really into Turkey hunting,
0: which is a lie.
2: Well, it's a lie now, (laughs) but I think that sometimes we gauge what we do with our kids based off of what they're what they show emotional interest in, you know. And it's like, oh well, they like this or they don't like this. I was going to say kids like go karting, but maybe they don't anymore. Maybe that's like maybe I'm aging myself. (laughs) What is it, 1994? (laughs) 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 They like playing video games or whatever. So those are like easy. So we we put the video game in their hand because that's the thing they like. But sometimes you got to get your kids involved in things they don't necessarily just, yeah. just love. Because I think about you. the experiences that Clay had kind of caught up with him later on. Like he was exposed to turkey hunting, he was exposed to all these things. Yeah. They might not have been super fun for Clay at the time or emotionally rewarding, but Clay mm-hmm. Baby as an adult is. He, I a remember
0: dad telling us that if you dropped a chain in the back of your truck, you could get one to shot gobble.
4: Yeah, I still believe that. Hey, hey, let me just tell the group how Clay got started turkey hunting. I mean, he was a basketball player. He was, you know, just a normal kid running around coon hunting. I'm going, what, coon hunting? And, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, he just had so many hobbies and so many activities, and I'm out turkey hunting. And, of course, he was hearing these stories, you know, but he would never act like he was too interested. It, it, it was just being a cool guy. And so he was really one of the better basketball players in MENA, but when he got in high school, one of Zach Newcomb's very best friends just whipped Clay's fanny every day. (laughs) Even my buddies would say, Clay Newcomb's going to be the best point guard come through MENA in a long time. (laughs) Well, Clay kind of believed that. He got in high school and the fastest guy I believe I've ever seen would just pick his pocket intentionally because I think he heard all this stuff here. You know, Clay Newcomb's going to come in. He's going to take over this thing, man. This guy whooped him every day. Clay came home (laughs) one day and he goes, dad, I know I'm not going to play college ball, but I'm going to stay with the team and I'm going to go to practices and I'm going to just monkey around, but I want to be the best hunter in Polk County. And I said, if not right then, I said it within a few days, you got to learn how to turkey hunt." And so we went out and it was just, blind luck of course I really knew there was turkeys in there but the first place we stopped and you probably remember where it was mm-hmm. and we got out you remember if we called or hooted I, I, we just yelled at him I think okay and all of a sudden just you know two two gobblers right there mm-hmm. and I mean he was hooked and within about 2 weeks I felt like he was a better hunter than I was I mean you <laughs> know I mean he could call he had a good ear for it but uh Showed no interest in turkey hunting. Hmm. I mean, he was interested in basketball, being a cool guy at school, having a nice truck, all this stuff. You know, telling me that his truck had a hole in the, or that his truck leaked, water would come in the bottom of his truck. And then one True day story. I find this disclosed picture. I'm going through some stuff and he's going through a mud hole. You can't even see the truck.
0: This may be a one green spot. And it, it, it did have a hole in the floor.
4: It, <laughs> I remember water got in there. But anyway, that that's how. So I was got I was
0: sixteen when I killed my first turkey, and so we started turkey hunting probably the year before. I mean, now I, I had been with you when I was a kid. I, I mean, I vividly remember going with you, but I wouldn't have taken it serious until. No. But that's also about the time that we started really feeling like we had a lot of turkeys. We had a lot of turkeys. You know, mid '90s, and then, uh, yeah, and then I I, I ended up killing one I was sixteen.
4: And we had a we had a little pocket of turkeys that they were just as thick as thieves, man. And real good turkey hunters would be you know a mile or two away, or yeah. even one guy was three or four hundred yards down the road, and I mean they're having a tough time killing them. And we go
3: in there, I mean, it it was just like walking in a turkey zoo. Hmm. You know, it's hard to keep a kid interested in something too because. I mean, how many times you've been turkey hunting that you hadn't seen the turkey? Yeah, A bunch, and it's hard to, it's hard to introduce somebody to that, especially at a young age, mm-hmm. that there's not a lot of action. You know, it's not it's not mm-hmm. happening every time you go out, and it's, so it's it's a challenge.
0: Dad, what's stood out to you about the podcast? Did you learn anything? You, you probably yeah, wouldn't have been up yeah. too much on turkey biology. Yeah,
4: you know, I thought about that on the way up here. Uh, there's not really one thing I enjoyed every bit of it because I could relate to everything he said. Now I learned quite a bit, especially from Dr. Chamberlain. Yeah. You know, when he started going through those five things. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, Primos was a big deal, Mm -hmm. but I go back, he's talking 83. I go back to 76, 77 and I, I was getting little custom tapes from guys around Polk County that were good hunters, and they'd pass them out. And yeah. You probably remember me going around the house all the time calling. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was one of those guys kind of stupid, but I didn't want someone to take me out and show me how to turkey hunt. I just wanted to learn it on my own, and I went a long time, and I'd get them in close. And, you know, I know one day I was <laughs> bored, and I tore my mouth call up, had too many reads and I was just, just going, ee, ee, just making noises. You know, it's 10, or 11 o'clock in the morning hunt was over. I thought, and they got the goblin at that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, but, uh, I tell you, Will is such a tremendous individual. I mean, I didn't realize that at the time you had all these little, I don't want to say heroes, but they yeah. were the leaders of the sport. Yeah. Ben Lee, and, you know, you just go on and on. Yeah. And uh, Night in Hell. uh, But he is such a quality guy. There's so much to learn from him. It's just incredible. Yeah. You know, you just take, what was his three, passion, focus. Discipline. uh, Discipline. I mean, he runs his whole life on that.
0: Yeah. I mean, if
4: someone just listened to that podcast and had any desire to be successful at life, That's, I mean, he hit on everything Mm -hmm. and you know, he makes it sound like, well, he doesn't necessarily make it sound like it. a lot of these guys just, you know, I I got lucky. You know, the time was right. There were a lot of birds. A buddy of mine wanted me to make a call. Well, guess what? He was passionate. He was focused. He was disciplined. Yeah. You know, he was going to be successful at picking up trash. It doesn't matter what he did. Yeah. He, and you could tell. That probably his family had five restaurants. You know, I mean, they're 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 smart people. They're yeah. disciplined. They're focused. He could see it. He had a he had mentors in his family. I mean, they didn't wake up and try to be successful. That was in their DNA. It in passion. You know, that's one reason I think these podcasts are pretty successful. Is I mean, there's a lot of passion that goes into them. Yeah. So I, I have really enjoyed that about Will finding out what a quality guy he is. Yeah and then chamberlain i mean 25 years of research on turkey's holy cow mm-hmm. yeah and when i drove up here i saw this hardwood forest and i thought this kind of just shoots a hole uh, not really follow me through on i mean we got all this hardwood i mean 40 miles of hardwood yeah okay so rule that out
0: it's not hardwood here that it's they predators. need Huh? Are you saying it's not hardwood they yeah, yeah, I mean, need?
4: He, I mean, you know, he, he's saying the hardwood's gone. Well, I'm driving. Oh, right, And right. I'm looking around going, what? You know, there's hardwood everywhere. Yeah, 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 I see. So so it's, you know, here in this area, it's got to be predators. It's got to be disease. It's got to be weather. And, yeah. I, and so, like where we are, we got a lot of clear cuts. We, you know, they've taken They've They're taken the, some hardwood. Yeah, they've taken it away from us, but... It looks to me like
0: up here. I mean, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all why this in incredible turkey woods. Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's got to be predators. Terrible. I'd say. Well, it's it's a combination of a bunch of stuff. I could I could nerd out on it, but that you're right. What you said is right, and what what <clears throat> Dr. Chamberlain said, and a part that I couldn't include was that every almost like micro region is different. So the difference between here and 80 miles away where you live, Dad. It's really could be vastly different, even though the average person would drive between here and there and think it's the same kind of country. But it's it's actually fairly different. So it's, man, these dang ground nesting birds. I'm telling you, if turkeys would just build a nest like a normal bird in a tree, (laughs) we wouldn't have all these problems.
1: You remember when we went to to Folsom?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. We got
1: into Folsom at like, Ten o'clock at night, Bolson, New dark Mexico. When we went to to do the the podcast, the next morning we we stayed in this little Airbnb that that uh, that Matt's mother has, and we got up the next morning. We're driving along, and all of a sudden, we look through town, and it was my, mind you, this is a town of fifty people. Yeah, the the entire town is covered in wild turkeys. Really? I bet we saw at least a hundred.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's some big big flocks, man. Yeah, that, that's what's that also is an interesting component of talking about turkeys be in decline because out west all people see is turkeys increasing. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, and so I mean that's a good thing, but they're in places that they've never been before. So the same thing that happened here happened here is kind of and now we've we always had turkeys in the east, but the reintroductions of the '60s, '70s, '80s, and '90s kind of put them into these v- landscapes that essentially had a vacant a vacant spot. Fur turkeys. Yeah. And and so out west they've introduced them and like the predators haven't caught up to them yet. The habitat is still really good and maybe they'll thrive out there for the next 3000 years, who knows. But
4: Well, I just want to say one thing about having people change their desires and interest and all. I think it's got to be regulated myself. I mean, I just don't think your average person I mean, you got you've you got a, a,
0: a nest it's of do guys anything different. Uh, Yeah,
4: I mean, you know, heck, I'm not going to do anything different. I mean, because I'm not hunting them right now. But I mean, if I'm a kid, I could care less what yeah, you right. think. Yeah. I mean, it might have some impact, but 90% of those kids could care less. Like if about, they can like, kill a bird and go to school and tell their buddies, that's all they care sure, about. Sure, yeah. sure. So, you know, you got to cut it back to one bird. You got to cut the seasons down. I mean, I would think. I mean, yeah, you got to yeah, do yeah. something. Well,
0: and, and, that, and that's happening. And in, in part of what we, I can't remember if that's in this podcast or the one y'all hadn't heard yet, but I, I talk about how we've got to give room for state agencies to do what they need to do. Because mm. people love to dog on state game agencies and blame everything on them. And man, it's just 90% of what goes on in state agencies, I believe, is from a good heart. And, I mean, way way more than that. But But point is, is that, if we all kind of were on the same team and we cut it back to one, we'd just be like, great. We can just kill one turkey in Arkansas this year. Fine. That's great. And not throw a fit about it. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah. And education is so important. And what you're doing here is part of that. But, uh, you know, they could expand their budget, go to schools. And, you know, if you're interested in the game of fish, you know, talking about turkey hunting, come in and, you know, explain what's going on. I mean, education is so much, so important. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kids would listen to that, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, there's also a lot of people that are, I think, in this modern era of wildlife management and what's even happening inside outdoor media. Like back in the 90s, we were watching Will Primos and the Juries and Night in Hell and all these guys, you know, kill 20 turkeys in 20 minutes, you know, on a VHS tape anymore if you watch a lot of the media it's a lot more education focused conservation focused and it's still entertaining it's got to be and you know we like seeing turkeys get killed yeah um but there there are people that are like yeah to be a sportsman is to be a conservationist and a biologist and understand what's going on and the landscape is shifting where people want to be, like it's it's cool to be in the know. It's cool to know what's going on. It's cool to see the macro picture. I think that's a good thing, and I yeah. think that's happening. Yeah. And yeah. so there are there are private land Well, and what's interesting too, when you talk about what you can do, which can't be regulated, is private land stuff. Yeah, I think ninety percent of the state of Arkansas is um, is private, private land, mm-hmm. and that's that's fairly good. I think less than one percent of the state of Texas is is. Is uh, public land? I mean, there's having ten percent of your state being public land is, is decent. Some of the western states are a lot more. Point being, most turkeys in Arkansas live on private land. Yeah, and if uh, if you can do things for them, you know, selective timber cut, burns, um, the way you manage your grasslands. How uh, do
1: burns help the turkey population?
0: Oh man, burns are like the almost a miracle cure for a whole lot of stuff kills a lot of the saplings and invasive mm-hmm. plants that want to grow up and crowd out sunlight for hitting the forest floor it regenerates um a lot of different plants that Native are grass that are deep. that are fire induced for them to germinate it also fertilizes soil with different things that happen when it burns you turkeys go.
4: love a burn well see all the guys that i hung around at turkey hunting i mean we go why are they burning right now i mean they're nesting and i mean see they could educate us they could put a little clip in the you know in the little folder we get that first you know the honey deal and and go look hey hey boys we're burning for these five reasons man
0: the burning is so interesting because growing up in an area with a lot of national forest every year just before turkey season they'd burn the woods and you know smoke would come into town and it was just kind of common knowledge that turkey hunters would be like, that's why we don't have any turkeys. They're burning the woods down, burning up all the turkey eggs. And it, that sounds really reasonable. It did, And it is absolutely false. But see, why don't they tell us? Well, uh, it, and they probably do, and that, we just that, don't hear it. it. That's it. It's just like they, the mechan. It's just not a perfect world. I mean, in a perfect world, we would have access to every single hunter, and they would
3: actually listen to us without – well, the burden, to, uh, a lot of the burden falls on us to educate yourself. Yeah. Um, instead of waiting, well, uh, waiting on somebody to tell you about it, it you got to get out there and, and find the answer. Because I'm the same way you are, Gary. Why is this going on now? Why is this happening? And then when I found out, when somebody actually told me, I thought, well, you know, it's it makes sense.
0: Yeah. And a, a biologist could talk to you about the burns and the timing of them, mm-hmm. but, oh, man, the burns dramatically increase poult survival. It's the best thing you could possibly do at that time. And yeah, there is a minuscule amount of of nests that might get burned, but it's so minuscule it doesn't even matter. I mean, huh. it, it's just insignificant, statistically insignificant. And uh, but the positives of a burn are just whoosh, through the roof, helping these birds. So Almost for stuff every like animal, that.
4: really. You know, I mean, yeah.
1: Bear
0: grease render educating America. That's the new tagline. There you
1: go. It's
2: catching,
0: <laughs> Misty Newcomb. Any thoughts? Just quick thoughts. How do we do?
2: I thought you did pretty good. I felt like the Turkey Podcast was lacking one specific story mm. that I think is the greatest turkey story of all time. <laughs> just to be real honest, it, it,
0: that turkey story isn't a. Uh,
2: it's more of a visual story. But I think it's that's not what a makes spring it, turkey story. That's not a spring turkey story. It's not
0: a spring turkey story.
2: Mm. Well, it's one of the greatest turkey turkey hunting season stories of all time. It. Is about fifteen percent of the reason I married you.
0: <laughs> Do you, you a solid fifteen percent. is I have to tell is, story? Uh, hey, I want to tell you guys something. The next, I'll give you. I won't foreshadow. <laughs> I will You've tell you. already told it, hadn't you? Yeah. I'll, I will shadow you. He
2: didn't tell the story. No, no, no. the
0: The next bear grease after this one is full. It, it, it's a. It's a. It's a storytelling podcast. I have oh, eight I storytellers, that. one after another. Bam! 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 Big names in the outdoor industry. <laughs> Big names in the Clay Newcomb Backwoodsman Real Deal st- book, too. Yeah. It's going to be incredible. Uh, yeah. Next podcast, all about turkey. Is
2: this story on that No, one? it's not. It's, okay. I'll tell the it's, story. It's a good one.
0: We'll end with this one. Okay. Yeah. So-
2: Let me just say this. I I don't know if everyone knows this. The night before I met Clay, this is a true story. I don't know why we were even having the conversation. I was too young to be talking about getting married or anything. And I said, the one- the one like absolutely no factor on marriage would be a hunter. Did y'all know that? (laughs) I would not marry a hunter. This is a true story. The next day I met Clay Newcomb. And I remember when he told me, I mean the first like conversation we ever had, he hunting came up and I remember looking at him going, oh, you're a hunter. And it was like really sad to me. Just, I
0: thought a, this was meant to this be. Is no like, I'm sorry. I thought yeah. you were a nice guy. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> and he won me over with the stories. I mean, like, I remember I remember him telling stories and I was like, this can't be all that bad. That's how this he got is. me
3: and Josh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he won you over with the I stories. Do you,
0: hey, you <laughs> remember this story? Yeah. Well, I think so. I think I think I do.
2: And Clay came but, to, to my house right after this happened yeah. and told the story. And it has been a... A Newcomb family thriller at bedtime. <laughs> for <laughs> What were you going to say, Dad?
0: Well, I go ahead and tell, tell that story. Well, so, okay. It, it was the fall of, I was 21 years old. So whatever fall that was, late 90s. And I was going bow hunting on top of a big mountain over there on public land. Going bow hunting. And I remember I got off work. I'd been welding for Mac McDonald building a house made of metal and yeah. i was a welder you, built it. For it. you
4: told us you built yeah, that I, house <laughs> and, I, mean, and been I was
0: driving to go i was driving to go deer hunting in this place that dad had a stand and on the way there i was driving on an old basically a two-track logging road an unmaintained road that at the time this would have been like okay i see a deer jump the road i get out of the truck and i'm going deer hunting and i grab my bow And I, this deer is just kind of standing out there. Long story short, I get out of the truck, walk off side of the road, and I shoot this deer with a bow. And uh, the deer takes off running. I just tin ringed it. And I don't wait for it to die. You know, usually you wait 30, 40 minutes, but I had to go hunting. So I just fell in right behind it. And about the time it hit the ground, I grabbed its back hooves, drug it to the truck, put it in the truck. And I go deer hunting. I get up to the top of the mountain, park the truck, walk to the stand. It was Dad's old ambusher, I believe. Ambusher tree stand. Climbing the tree I stand. I kill a deer out of the ambusher. And you can, you can see that there's a big draw that comes up right in front of me. Well- <laughs> Loggy bow. Was it a loggy bow? Okay. Loggy bow. And the big draw coming up here. And have been sitting there an hour maybe, and I see a big- swinging beard gobbler turkey walking up the other side of the draw from me. And at the time, there was a fall turkey season in Arkansas. And so he's walking, and he's going to be 25 yards. So I draw back, and when he comes into an opening 25 yards, torch off an arrow. The arrow sails right under his beard and hits the side of the bank opposite of him. So he hears something to his right. You know, hit the bank. I'm to his left. He jumps straight up in the air, about two wing flaps, you know, and just jumps straight about 12 feet up in the air, lands on the ground, and and starts to trot right towards me. So I grab another arrow, and he's just coming right towards me, and he gets about 10 yards, and I I just nail him. Just I see the arrow pass all the way through him, sticking the ground. The turkey. I'm kind of on a ridge that kind of slopes off. And I can kind of see a bigger kind of holler over here. Mm-hmm. And that turkey turns and just, whoop, whoop, just takes two big wing flaps oh, and just, yeah. whoop, just puts his Glides wings out, out there. and just sails. Lift the area code. Just sails <laughs> off the side of that mountain. Yeah. And I go, oh, dang. <laughs> I just remember seeing his silhouette up against the other mountain over there. And so I go, oh, wow. that It's going to be hard to find that turkey. So. I sit there for a little while and it's starting to get dark. And I think, man, I better go find that turkey. And I've already got a deer in the truck, you know? And so I get out and I just start making loops off the side of the mountain. And I, I just knew the direction it went, you know, start making just big horseshoes, you know, off down there and make a big circle. And it's just almost dark. And there's no way I'm going to find this turkey. The leaves were real wet. It was yeah. it was wet. It had been raining. I, I end up making it back to the truck, and I put my bow in the truck, and I'm going to dr- leave. And I think, man, there's one little section I didn't look in. I'm just going to walk back up there. So I decide I didn't take my bow, which was a key component of this story. <laughs> <laughs> and I I start walking up the road. Well, I don't get probably 100 yards from my truck walking on a a, a road just lined with pine needles, you know, and like a gravel road. So I'm walking real quiet, and I come around like a little thicket, and just walking and I come around and I can see something you know, new area and bam, I see a turkey laying on the ground like a hen with its head up. And it is probably eight or nine feet from me, like oh, from here yeah. to that bucket. And it is laying there and it doesn't see me. It has its eyes closed and I just freeze. And I go, what do I do?
3: I'm I knew- like everybody to know he looks like the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> right now, yeah. making this pose.
0: And I, I, I knew that that was the turkey I'd shot and that it was laying there. Yeah. And I actually wanted to go back to the truck and get my bow and come back and shoot it again. Well, about the time that I started to do something, the decision was made for me what was going to happen. Yeah. When I saw that turkey's eyes, <laughs> pop open. Yeah. And I could, I could, I mean, I just saw his eyes pop wide open. He sees me and he jumps up and proceeds to run as fast as a turkey can run down the mountain. Mm, that's funny. Well, I was wearing my big lacrosse green boots that all the bow hunters wore back yep. during that time. Oh, yeah. And man, I had one option and that was to chase him. And so I just take out after him. And I remember just crashing through briars and brush and limbs, and I'm running as fast as a 21-year-old Clay Newcomb can run in the rain with all his hunting gear, chasing this turkey down the hill. And, man, he is losing me. I'm running as fast as I can. He's getting further and further away. And I just remember thinking, no, I cannot lose this turkey. And we get to the bottom of the hill. And one day I'm going to go back up there and – see how far it is it probably wasn't that far it felt like i ran a quarter of a mile i'm sure i I didn't if we get to the bottom of the hill and he goes down through it and he starts to pull up the ridge on the other side well i fall in just right behind him except he's now pretty good ways out in front of me we start going up the hill and man I start gaining on him. Oh, no, no! I start gaining on him, <laughs> and all that does is start fuel me. You know, yeah. Adrenaline, adrenaline, and I know that I'm about to just run out of steam. I don't have much left, Yeah. but I'm gaining on him, gaining on him, gaining on him, gaining on him, and I remember thinking, I'm going to catch that sucker. I mean, that was the words <laughs> that were formed in my head. I'm going to catch that sucker. And, man, I got up about five feet from him, and I just dove <laughs> on that sucker and just, <laughs> poof, just wrapped him up. And we, boom, hit the ground, and we were both so out of breath that I just laid there <laughs> breathing, and I remember seeing his head <laughs> ping, pop up, and I remember his eyes looking at me just like this right here. And then finally, when I caught my breath, and I guess he caught his too, I don't know, I reached over and just <laughs> whew, wrung his neck, yeah. carried him out of there, threw him in the back of the truck with the nubbin buck i just killed, and went to Misty Shreve's house.
2: True story. Except for the rest is history. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Told me the story. I took it to your house. No, I remember. I remember. It was just the story. Yeah, you took it to the house. You had the SDN. I remember remember your beautiful blonde, swaying, shaggy hair. Mm, It was the late 90s. (laughs) Yeah, I remember. remember. So that
0: that story didn't qualify for a spring turkey story.
2: Okay. Well, (laughs) so. Yeah. I don't care. It's a good story.
0: It is a good one. Great render, guys. Josh, closing thoughts. Closing comment.
1: Uh, I just remember the last, or the one of the first times I went hunting with y'all. Do you remember we're sitting around the campfire? Clay is telling that story.
0: You've probably heard that story 20
1: times. I, I love it every time, though. It's one <laughs> of my favorite it's stories. I think the part where he and the turkey yeah. are
2: looking at each other, breathing real hard. That's the best part but of But we're it.
1: sitting around the campfire. You probably remember this. And, uh, and uh, these two guys pull up in this... In this, actually, it was a little earlier than the campfire. I think we'd just gotten done ca- uh, hunting for the day. This guy comes walking out and he goes, Is a doc here? And we're like, uh, Yeah, Gary, one of Gary's close friends is a doctor. And uh, he said, I just got shot. <laughs> Some oh. guy had shot him in the woods, wow. saw the white of his hair, and just instinctively just shot <laughs> and peppered his back with shotgun. Wow.
0: Yep. And then it was, Dr. John Mesko was with us? Yeah.
4: Well, it might've, we might've blended two stories together, but that, that exactly what you said happened. Yeah. yeah. And this guy knew that I hunted with Mesko or in a, we'd went out and every place I had picked out, somebody was there and we just went back to camp and drank coffee and this guy pulls up and he goes, man, Hey Gary, you got that doc with you? And I go, yeah, he's here. <laughs> and. He came down and took his shirt off. He his whole back was seventeen. He, he had and seventeen it. And Mesco pulled out him. his knife and he like licked it and ran it under his arms <laughs> and he started he started poking him on the back and he goes, Hey, you'll be okay, man. Don't do anything. Don't even go to the doctor. They'll work theirself out. But, what kind of pattern was it? Pretty tight. <laughs> it was pretty wide. Oh. You know, dang. it wasn't it wasn't he probably had twenty pellets in his back. Improved no cylinder. Wow. But, anyway.
0: So I, you were there for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was hunting.
1: You must've been. I, I for some I, reason I was, I don't remember. You yeah. lot. you know, you all hunting in Beirut. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Beirut, <laughs> Arkansas. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I appreciate the podcast. Cause I, I think, I think the way you left it was good just for people to think and do what they can. You know, it, it, it I felt a little sad thinking about generations that may not have the turkey yeah. hunting that we've had. And it, it, it was such good times and good memories for me, especially with our kids that I I want people to be able to have that experience in the future too. So,
3: yeah. The death by a thousand cuts. Yep, That was very accurate. So mm-hmm. we can just do the opposite. We put a thousand band-aids on it. Maybe it'll get better. Just Podcast is over. Mic drop The Thousand
0: Band-Aids <laughs> the Brent Reeves <laughs> and his Thousand Band-Aids <laughs> his Thousand
2: Band-Aids <laughs> oh, conservation man. theory Wow We're, getting, we We're
0: starting a foundation <laughs>
1: Look hashtag. out Teddy Roosevelt
3: <laughs> is, that a, is that a hashtag? The Thousand
0: Brent Reeves and his Thousand Band-Aids They'll probably make a, probably make a, a Bronze monument of him and <laughs> his overalls One day with holding a gobbler turkey <laughs> And, and oh, a Band-Aid
2: And a Johnson and Johnson Band-Aid
0: <laughs> A tin can
2: That's right (laughs)
0: Uh, oh thank you guys hey there are some bear grease hats on the website a tan bear grease hat oh they're they're for sale tan bear grease hat they look pretty good I mean so you can check that out and uh, we should have bear grease hats in May starting pretty quick and there'll be a lot of them but they'll still probably sell out so you you should buy them as quick as you can and um, anyway thanks guys and gals
1: is that what it sounds like when it's
0: oh. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a Snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp, Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. and It's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash grease.